So let's open in prayer. Father, thanks for today and for granting us a wonderful day to be here and for this opportunity to study a word, open our minds, our hearts, help us to understand it. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one of the things that... Uh, actually, I know you might not believe this, but I go home and listen to the CD from the class because I want to make sure that I didn't confuse anything or get anybody confused. And one of the things is that this is class that we started last week, or actually the week before last, is really part, part one of a two-parter, all right? And the whole idea is you've got to go through all two parts to get the full picture of what is trying to be said here. And um, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, so I went out to the Internet, and um, I added a couple of slides here, some information. This is not in your notes. Um, this will be up on the website when I post it up there. So just a, added a few little slides here to help us understand what we're trying to say um, in this, this at least a two-part series here. When you look at Satan's strategy and you ask, well, what is Satan up to? What, what is he busy doing? How does he operate? Basically, he has three major prongs to his strategy. His strategy in spiritual warfare is one, deception. He wants to deceive. I mean, that's really what the whole concept of Satan is, a deceiver, deception. He's trying to get you to believe something that's not true or not believe something that is true. And he's very good at that. He's had a lot of practice at that. It started in the garden, didn't it? With Eve. Eve was deceived. In fact, the New Testament says Eve was deceived by the serpent. She thought she was doing the right thing and she was not. So his desire, one of his major strategies throughout history has always been that of deception. Spiritual deception. Making people think things are true when they're not, you especially see this in the false religions of the world where there's a tremendous amount of deception. Another thing he is very good at is denial. I was just listening, interestingly, on Moody Radio, and I guess a Barna survey just came out a couple weeks back. I don't know if anybody heard that. And I can't remember the exact statistics, but the vast majority of people who claim to be Christians do not believe in a personal devil. Yeah. Now go figure that one out. Um, I don't know what he meant by... You've got to understand something about statistics, you know. You know there are three kinds of lies. White, black, and statistics. All right? You can make statistics mean anything you want them to mean, depending on how you ask the question. And uh, if you ask somebody, um, are you a Christian? They'll probably say, well, see, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not an atheist. So, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. Well, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're a Christian, right? It doesn't mean they're a born-again Christian. So, you've got to wonder about his survey techniques. But I think it was interesting when at least he said that, um, I'm trying to think of what the number was. It was like 63 or 70, somewhere up there percent of professing Christians did not believe in a personal devil. And not only that, they did not believe in the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now go figure that one out. All right. Satan is very good at that. He wants people to think that he's not there, Right. He's not doing what he's doing. He, he doesn't exist. Uh, and, and the average American today, even those that claim to be evangelical Christians, when they're starting to deny the reality of Satan, you've got a real problem. All right? But he's very good at that. He's very good at that. And then distrust. What does Satan want us to do? He doesn't want us to believe God, does he? He wants to create in us a sense of distrust. Yea, hath God said. And uh, unfortunately, as Christians, that's what we really fall into a lot of times. We fall into this whole concept of distrust. 
Do we really believe that God can do what God can do? And Satan is always there whispering in our ears that. In fact, let's, let's ask a question. How did Satan approach Christ in his temptation? He talked to him and what did he try to get Christ to do? Distrust that God was taking care of him. You've been out here for 40 days and haven't eaten. Make some bread. Your father should be taking better care of you than that. How about jumping down off the pinnacle of the temple? That'll really start your ministry. How about falling down and worshiping me and that way you don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to do it God's way. You can do it your way. The idea of distrust here is that Satan plants within us this idea that we can't trust God for what God says. That somehow our way or Satan's way is a little better than God's way. And he's very good at that. And we fall for it all the time. We fall for that very much. But his basic strategy is deception, denial, distrust. And when I was thinking of this, I was thinking, well, what's a good illustration of this? You know, and I think, as I said, I'm, I'm sort of an amateur World War II type of buff. And I like reading about World War II things. And when I've been to Europe, I've always made it a habit to visit World War II sites. And I've been to the concent- some concentration camps and the Normandy coastline and all that. And one of the things that you find in, in um, World War II is uh, this thing called Operation Fortitude. This is on D-Day. Everybody knows what D-Day is, right? When we invaded Normandy. Well, the Allies had this massive operation called Operation Fortitude. And there were actually two pieces of this. There's a north piece and a south piece. And the whole reason for having this whole operation, in fact, they have mission patches. You know, in armies, when you do a certain operation, you get an operational patch. They have operational patches and, and insignia for this. Um, but the, the idea of this was to fool the Germans into thinking that we were going to invade at a different spot than we actually did. All right? And what they did is they had this entire division. They, they actually you have photos of this. Entire divisions of inflatable tanks. You have these guys picking up these Sherman tanks as big balloons. All right? And they had them all lined up on the field. And they had inflatable ships and inflatable airplanes, big balloons. And when you're flying over it from the air, you know, at five or 6,000 feet, it looks like, you know, hey, you've got a whole division of armor and all kinds of stuff down there. And all it is is just balloons. And what they did is they put all of these in England across from the Port du Calais, which is where they wanted the Germans to think they were really going to invade. And it worked. It worked. And not only that, they also had a whole campaign up in Scandinavia where they had artificial tents. And, and when you're flying over you know, in a plane, it looks like the real deal. It looks like there's a big army, divisions down there, and there's nothing there. All right? It's all, it's all subterfuge. And the whole idea of this is to get the Germans into thinking we're going to be doing one thing when, in fact, we're up to something totally different. Also, they had double agents. What they did is they fed these double agents information about where they were going to invade. And since we had broken the German Enigma code, we were able to read all the German communications. So we know what the Germans were saying to one another, and we used these double agents to feed false information. The Germans were convinced that if there was going to be an invasion, it was going to be at the port de Calais. And that's why they had all of their strength massed in order to repel the invasion. They had no idea it was going to be Normandy. 
And here's a couple of the pictures of these things. That, that one right up there, that's an inflatable tank. It's a big balloon. And it looks like a tank. And then down there, that's an inflatable airplane. It's a balloon. All right. And again, from the air, you know, you're flying over this. It looks like you've got a whole airfield full of these planes and fields full of these tanks. There was one picture of, a, of four guys picking up one of the tanks as a big balloon. They're picking up the tank and moving it around. All right. Um, but it was, it, it was to deceive the enemy into thinking that, hey, we're going to be doing one thing when we're doing another. And the results were astounding. Um, the Germans are totally caught off guard. They had no idea it was going to be Normandy. In fact, well into the Normandy invasion, they finally figured out that was the real thing. It was so effective. And Erwin Rommel, who was the guy, the general, remember him, the Desert Fox? He was the one who was in charge of the Atlantic Wall, so to speak, Fortress Europe. He was off on a holiday on June 6th. I mean, they were so totally caught off guard that by the time they figured out what was going on, it was too late. You may have said this, but uh, didn't we get these tactics right out of the Bible? I don't know if we did or not. Right. Uh, during that era, when there was a lot of uh, uh, fighting going on uh, during the era of the Bible, uh, there were certain tactics that were mm-hmm. all as far as trying to see Yeah. And that's a very effective tactic in warfare. This here is a, um, a little thing off the internet that shows this whole idea of the fortress of the. Fortitude South and this Fortitude South and Fortitude North. They had dummy landing craft. These are these are inflatable boats made out of you know rubber and, and plywood. They're not real, but they look like the real boats. And from the air, you know, you're flying over from the air. You think, hey, there's a whole big armada of ships down there, and all they are is balloons and cardboard. And then here's oh here's the one where the, you see the four guys picking up the tank, moving it. Um, total deception. Now, the reason I bring this up here is to help you understand that Satan's number one tactic is deception. He deceives. He wants you to think you're doing, he's doing one thing when he's up to something else. And he wants you to think he's really busy over here doing something when he's not there at all. And that's the trick for us, not the trick, but the, the thing for us as believers is we need to strike a balance between denying that Satan is involved all right, or thinking that something's really not going on, and believing that Satan is behind every bush and every rock just waiting to pounce on us when we walk by it. All right, We need to strike a balance. We need to know where to fight and when to fight. The way you win a war is you've got to know where the enemy is at, what he is up to. Because if you don't, you're going to be expending energy and materials and effort fighting things that aren't real. And meanwhile, the enemy is going to take advantage of you. And that's what we're talking about in this two-part series. Last week, or the week before actually, we talked about this first part, this first, um, the second part here. The people who believe that Satan is behind every rock, every bush, he's just waiting to pounce. You know, he, he infests your appliances, he infests your cars, he, you know, all that wacky, wackery out there. All right? We don't want to go that route. Because that's a, that, that is, that makes Satan, um, we believe Satan is doing things he's not doing at all. Alright? So you don't want to go that route. However, now we're going to go back this week and talk about the balance. Just because there's a lot of wackery out there doesn't mean Satan is not 
active. And he cannot do certain things. And he cannot possess people. You know, can demonic spirits be in a home? Sure they can, but they're not in every home. It's the vast exception, not the general rule. And you don't need to be afraid as a Christian that you've got a demon hiding in your broom closet just waiting to pounce on you. You don't need to go there. And usually when you do have these things where there are real demonic forces at work, in just about every single case is because someone has opened themselves up to that. That's, that's why when we talk here about getting into the Ouija boards and into some of that kind of stuff, you want to run as fast and far away from that as you can. Because if you open yourself up to demonic presences, that will be there. It's a reality, folks. It's not, this is not, you know, rosemary baby type of stuff. This is really, this really happens. This stuff really happens. So that's what we want to look at today. So let's, let's go through here, and um, we're going to go to, we've already talked about this. We're going to say, what does the Bible teach about Satan? What, when we look at the Scripture, and we look at the Word of God, what does it say about what Satan is really, really doing? Okay? And what do we find? We find several things. Number one, Satan hinders the believer. What do you think it means by hinders? Challenges. Makes things tough for us. Um, the context here is in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Paul is talking to the Thessalonian believers. Now, if you remember about the Thessalonians, um, just a, a short, brief history of the Thessalonians. Paul is in Ephesus. He gets the Macedonian call. Remember, a dream of the night. And what does he do? He gets on a boat. He goes over to the area of Macedonia. All right. He goes to the towns of Neapolis, Philippi, Thessalonica, which is up there, right? And what happens in Thessalonica? Well, he gets run out of town. About three weeks there, he's run out of town. He goes down to Berea. All right? Now, the Thessalonian church is how old at that time? Weeks. Weeks. Three, four weeks old. All right? Paul's down in Berea, and then from Berea he goes down to Athens and then over to Corinth where he, he spends 18 months. And he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out how things are going. And you've got to understand, Paul is in this, this missionary flow. He's, in, he's going from town to town preaching the gospel. And he wanted to go back and find out how the Thessalonians are doing because, of course, they're a brand new church. You know, they're, they're brand new in the faith. They're baby Christians. And not only that, but they're being persecuted. All right? There are new Christians being persecuted. And Paul is concerned for them. And Paul wanted to go back, but what did he say here? I wanted to come back to you, but Satan hindered me. How did Satan hinder Paul from getting back to the Thessalonians? He stirred up uh, his own criteria to interrupt Paul. Yeah, the Judaizers were after Paul. They dogged him all the way. He had persecution following him. He had probably situations that didn't allow him to get back. He did send Timothy back, but Paul didn't get back. And in this whole thing, what is Paul just understanding from a global 20,000 foot perspective? He understands that he's fighting a battle in spiritual. Yeah, Satan is hindering him from doing necessarily the things that he would really like to do. He, he's really getting slammed. Yeah, he's getting slammed. Paul understood that. Now, 
Did Paul understand every little stratagem and every little thing that Satan was up to? No. He just understood at a global level that Satan hindered him from doing the things that he wanted to do. Alright? Now, how does that apply to us today? Same way. We don't really know when Satan Yeah. There are times that we have a window that, hey, you know, I, I want to do this and I can't. It just seems that, you know, family situations come up, work situations come up, things come up and I can't do the things I would really like to do. I, you know, sometimes Satan's behind that. Sometimes he's not. All right? Sometimes he's not. But he does hinder us because what does he want to do to our Christian witness and testimony? He wants to ruin it, right? He wants to derail it. He wants to keep us from, from being a testimony and a witness. He wants to prevent us from seeing people we maybe should see. He, he wants to do that. That's what he's up to. Now, we don't know in, in any given situation if that's the case or not because we don't have the, the spiritual spectacles we can put on and see the demons and spirits around us. We don't know that. And Paul didn't know that either, but Paul knew that at a global level, Satan hindered him in his missionary endeavor. And so how did he deal with that? How do you think Paul dealt with that? He prayed and asked God to give him an open door. Right? He kept going. You know, he, he didn't let things deter him. He wasn't there, okay, I'm going to stop here and wait till I can figure out what Satan is up to. He didn't worry about that. He just went on and did the missionary work. He, he understood that, yes, there's a battle going on. Yes, Satan is hindering me. Yes, Satan is busy. But I don't know what he's up to. I'll let God sort that all out. I'll let God deal with Satan. I'll let God pave the way. And he prayed and he asked people to pray for him that God would grant him an open door to witness. That God would grant him opportunity to witness, opportunity to share his faith, opportunity to be a testimony and a witness. And he didn't get all flustered and upset and bothered about what may or may not have been Satan's hindering activities. He just persevered and went on doing what he knew God wanted him to do. Do you understand the, the, the idea here? Yeah, you've got to deal with it on a daily basis. Not yeah. Just like we're living now. You know, we may be delayed in where we need to go. It's not our fault. It could be any of a number of reasons. And we recognize that Satan hinders us. Now, let's, let's look at it from our, our church. We're going to look at how Satan attacks the church in a, in a later part here. But look at Open Door. How many times has Satan hindered us from doing what we could do as a church? I can't count them. I, I'm, running out of, I'm running out of them. You know? Um, you know, it seems like one situation after another rears its ugly head here once in a while. And sometimes you sit back and scratch your head saying, what's going on? Well, yeah, and, and see, one of the dangers that personally as Christians we do is a lot. You know, I believe God leads through circumstances. I, I believe He does. I believe He opens doors, He closes doors. I believe that. All right, but I think that sometimes as Christians we have mysticized the will of God so much that when we encounter the least little resistance, we think, "Oh, God doesn't want me to do that." Well, how do you know that? So what you do is you go until you can't go any farther. Alright? If I come up to a door and it's closed, I'm going to 
take the knob. I'm going to yank on the door. I'm going to push the door. I'm going to try to open it. And only when it doesn't open do I assume that God doesn't want me to go through that. But if I have a little time, hard time opening it, I'm not going to stop. Make any sense? Yes. Just keep going until God. And, and what, now, also, you got to understand why you're doing this. You need to pray and say, God, if you don't want me to go a certain way, then prevent me from doing that. Prevent me. But until you prevent me, I'm going to assume that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Right. Especially if it's something that you know God wants you to do. All right. You know, um, like Paul. How did Paul choose the cities he went to on his missionary journey? No. No. He looked at a map. Right. He looked at a map. I mean, he's in one city. Where am I going to go to next? Well, where does the road lead? That's where I'm going. I'm going to go that way. You know? Now, every once in a while, what did God do? No, you don't go that way. All right? And that happened when he went to Miletus, remember? He said, well, let's see. I came from the south, so I've already been there. I'll go east. God said, no. I'll go north. God said, no. Now, we don't know how God closed the door. We don't know what, why, but Paul indicates that the doors were closed. So Paul's in my lead. He said, okay, where do I go now? And that night, he got a vision of the man in Macedonia, call him west across the Aegean, I think it's the Aegean there, up to um, Macedonia. But Paul is, you know, Paul's a missionary, right? So what town do I go to? I go to the next town on the road. Unless God puts a roadblock up and keeps me from doing that. And in the same sense, what do we need to do? If We know that God wants us to witness to people, right? So witness to them until the door's shut, until you can't. I mean, this, it's, you know, what we've done, one of the dangers is we've mysticized the will of God so much we think, well, I'm going to sit here and pray until a brick falls out of heaven with instructions. No, go. 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 And, and, and ask God, as you're going, ask God to steer you. How hard is it to shear a parked aircraft carrier? How hard is it to shear it? Steer it. Oh, steer it. It's awful hard, isn't it? But if it's going through the ocean, what can you do? little rudder can steer that thing all over the place. So if you're parked as a Christian, God's going to have a hard time steering you in the direction you need to go. All right. Now, are there times when God may park you for a minute? Oh, sure. He did it with Paul, right? In Miletus, he parked Paul there for a few minutes, around a couple of days. Parked him there until the direction was clear. And, and those things will happen. But folks, look, Satan is going to hinder us. And if you could spend your entire life quitting every time you get a little bit of opposition, you're never going to amount to anything. All right? Because Satan is going to hinder us. And you might as well just get used to that idea. Yeah. 
you have an opportunity to witness somebody, what should you do? Witness to them. Say, oh, I've got to pray about this. What's there to pray about? Right? What's there to pray about? You witness. Now, God may close the door. He may not, they may not be receptive. But look, if you have an opportunity to do what you know God wants us to do, just do it. Don't worry about, is it God's will or not? Oh, I, you know, I'm going to mess this thing up. No, just, especially when you know that those things, the, of those things that God wants us to do. You know, you know, quite honestly, you can say the dumbest things and people come to know the Lord. I, I, it's just, you know, you can say the dumbest things on the world and people say, you know, remember when you said that? And I say, well, that was a real dumb thing for me. He said, well, you know, that led me to the Lord. And it's like, oh, okay. You know. And I think God does that just to make sure that you understand it's really not you. It's not your brightness. It's not your slick speech. It's not your abilities. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. All right. But the whole point here is, look, folks, in this life, we're going to be hindered by Satan. We're not going to know all of the times what he's up to. We're not going to know if he's there or not there. We're going to face opposition. And as believers, if God has called us to do something, you keep going until the door will not budge. And then you can say, okay, I, I, I know now God doesn't want me to go there. And especially as you bathe the process in prayer along the way and ask God to lead you where you need to go, It'll be clear when you look back, you know, 20 years from now, you look back, you say, wow, you know, I look how God brought me through that. And he will do that. So keep going until the door slams shut. Don't don't become discouraged in while doing. That's that's one of the things, you know, we can become discouraged. Anybody know William Carey? Anybody know the name William Carey? William Carey is the founder of Modern Missions. Yeah, he went to China. All right. Now, long he was in China before he had one convert. It was like 20 years. How'd you like to do that? Be called to China and spend 20 years witnessing, and then get your first convert. But the church in China today owes its existence to William Carey. He didn't give up. He didn't give up. Let's not give up. And then um, the other thing here, and we know this, Luke. Uh, 22, 31 through 32, Satan can tempt us. And when we say Satan here, we're talking about Satan's host, not necessarily Satan personally, but Satan or demonic forces. They can tempt us. If we open ourselves up, we can be tempted, all right, in, in areas. What was Peter's great temptation here? Pride. Christ said, you're all going to leave me. And Peter says, not me, I'll be there, I'm not going to leave. And see, Christ, he knew what Satan was up to. That's unlike us. Christ actually knew what Satan was up to. He said, you know, Peter, Satan's wanted to have you to sift you like wheat. He, wanted, he wants to work you over. Now, that's interesting here. Think about this. Satan wanted to work Peter over. What's implied in that statement? He was a leader, but it says Satan wanted to. He wanted to, but that doesn't mean he could. Right. That's the point. Yes. 
He wanted to. So, if Satan wanted to sift him like wheat, what did Satan have to get? God's okay, green light to do it. And did God give Satan the green light to sift him? Yes, he did. I'm praying for you. Now, go figure that one out. Wait a minute. You're the Son of God. We need to pray for me for That's interesting, you know. Does the Holy Spirit pray for us? With groanings which cannot be uttered, right? Yeah. He prays for us. Here's the whole point with, with Peter here. Satan can tempt us. And the thing that keeps Satan from smashing all of us like bugs is God's allowance. God gives him parameters. God gives him boundaries. You can go this far and no farther. And here's the other thing that we see in this. When we live in disobedience, when we live in pride, when we live in our own strength, what will happen? We'll get knocked down. And why does God allow that? Because He doesn't want us to think we can do it on our own. Yeah, some people believe that, um, and we're going to talk about that whole election thing. You know, you can be elect but not yet saved. All right, we'll talk about that later. Some say that that's what that's referring to. Others say when you are turned around. In other words, when you've gone through the trial and you've turned around and come back, what can you do? You can encourage the brethren, and you know that's one of the things. You know, sometimes. You know, we can say, I'm saying, you know, I thought I could handle this and I got smashed to pieces. And my experience in getting smacked down can be a testimony to other people that, hey, don't be arrogant, don't be proud, don't think that you can fight it on your own. You can't. Yes. And what Christ is telling Peter here is that, look, Satan wants you. Because he wants to make you look bad. He wants to destroy your faith. Okay. ESV. Yeah. When you've turned around again. Yeah. And see. And see. Here's another very important principle in this. If we are not in the Word of God. If we are not in a state of prayer, what do we expose ourselves to? A lot of problems. We expose ourselves to Satan. We expose ourselves to deception. We expose ourselves because we're weak. We're not strong. Now that doesn't mean that if you you are in the Word and you are in prayer that you don't have any problems, right? That's not where you're gonna have problems either way you carve the pie on this one, folks. But the whole point is, I would rather be in the Word, in prayer, in the Spirit, than not. Alright? Because then I have victory. I have victory in Christ. He gives me victory over Satan. You know, and a lot of Christians, you know, when you look at Christians, I remember Howard Hendricks saying this. He's saying, you know, he says, when you see somebody fall into grievous sin, it's not a blowout. It's a slow leak. 
It's a slow leak. He talked to, um, he said he did a survey of 200 men in the ministry that fell into immorality. And he said in 78% of the cases, there were no blowouts. They don't get up one day and say, I think I'm going to go commit adultery today and ruin my ministry. Nobody does that. What happens is the process. Over a long period of time, they give in to these things. And all of a sudden, one day, boom, it happens. But it's not a blowout. It's a slow leak. And that's the way it is with a lot of sometimes Christians. When you see a Christian fall into grievous sin or go off the deep end, usually it's not a blowout. It's a slow leak. They've been preparing for it for a long time. So you need to be in the Word. You need to ask God to give you strength, wisdom, insight. One thing I pray for almost on a daily basis is the ability to understand what is and what isn't true spiritually. Because I don't have the sight to see that in my own strength. I just cannot see that. I have to ask for wisdom and strength. And ask that God would prevent me from falling into the snare of the devil and keep me out of temptation and keep me from you know, bringing reproach on the name of Christ. And if you're not doing that, what will happen over a period of time is you'll have this slow leak, slowly take away your vitality, and someday you're going to find yourself doing things you never thought you would do because you're not ready. Peter thought he could handle the devil on his own, and Peter found out he can't. And none of us can. None of us can. And that's one of the great dangers of the spiritual warfare movement when you guys got on got these guys on TV saying you can order demons around and you can order the devil around because you're... No, 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 no. You don't do that. Not even Michael the Archangel did that. So if Michael the Archangel does not rebuke Satan like that, neither should you be doing that. Satan deceives believers and unbelievers alike. Satan is a master of deception, right? 2 Corinthians 11.3 I fear lest by any means the serpent beguiled either through the subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's talking to the Corinthians. Eve was deceived by Satan. And you know what? If you're not careful, you can be deceived as well. Now, how can you as a Christian prevent yourself from being deceived? Pray and be in the Word, right? And ask God for spiritual insight. That's the source, folks. It really is. It's not your own brain power. It really is not. It really is not. I'm waiting for somebody to write a theology of Star Wars. All right? Because, you know, the movie I hated the worst, the number, part three, where Darth Vader become, where Anakin becomes Darth Vader, when you, when you, when you step back and you look at that whole story, I don't know if you all have seen that movie, it's pretty interesting. But when you look at that, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing the right thing and all along, what was he doing? Evil. That's how Satan operates, folks. Satan makes you think you're doing the right thing. In fact, you are convinced you're doing the right thing. And all along, you're playing into his hand. Isn't it true a lot of times when you do pray that the Lord will wake you up and it is yeah. pain and suffering? Mm-hmm. It does involve you doing something and you know what? One of my one of the prayers that I pray a lot is, "Lord, don't let me make a mistake. Don't let me do something that I'm going to regret. Prevent me from falling into error." I mean, you know, I, I told you I, again, I'm a World War II buff, and I went and I 
went to Mauthaus and Dachau Buchenwald, these concentration camps, and you, you read the stories and you say, how could that happen? Easily. The Germans who did that were convinced they were doing humanity a service. They were convinced of that. They were convinced that it was for the survival of the human race. And that's how they could do those atrocities. We look at it and say, how could they do that? They were convinced they were doing the right thing. Absolutely convinced. When Israel is supposed to be one state, I mean, before, yeah. first, first the Jews and then the The Pharisees, you know, the, the, the religious leaders that crucified Christ, what were they convinced of? They were doing the right thing. They were convinced of that. That's how Satan operates. He gets you to think you're doing the right thing when all along you're doing the wrong thing. So that's why you've got to be people of the Word, people in the Word, saturated with the Word of God in prayer to keep yourself from being schnookered in the thinking you're doing the right thing when you're doing the wrong thing. And Christians are very susceptible to this. Very susceptible. I've seen, you know, I see people leave this church, and not just this church, but other churches, and, you know, they're convinced, oh, well, you know, I'm standing for the truth. They're not standing for the truth. They got their feelings hurt and they they're, have a personality conflict, and they're off somewhere else. And they're, but they can talk themselves into thinking that they're making a stand for righteousness and holiness and truth. And they're not. They're carnal. I think the more position you have, the more likely you're going to get beat up. Yeah. Ruth. And I thought it was, like, it was really interesting in the movie The Passion. The um, way they portrayed Satan was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's why, again, you need to be people of the Word to, be, to understand it. 11, 14 through 15, Satan is transformed as an angel of light. Satan does not show up with a pitchfork reeking of fire and brimstone. That would be bad press, right? He shows up as something attractive. As something beautiful, as something wonderful, as something nice. And, and that's what makes people, you know, it deceives them. It's interesting when you see these near-death experiences, you know, where people find this being of light and they're just overcome and they feel really good and off warm and fuzzy inside and they come back and they're not believers, they don't believe in God or anything like that, but they know they're okay because they had an encounter with the light. I, I'm reminded of this verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Satan is the master deceiver, right? He is the master of disguise. And he's not going to come to you, again, with a pitchfork, reeking of fire and brimstone. He's going to come to you with something very, very, very attractive. And that's how he reels you in. Mm-hmm. And mature Christian. Right. And boy, it really takes maturity and in the word and prayer to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And then it's also the point that, you know, 
Well, Paul says you're like children tossed to and fro. Um, and the idea there, beach ball on the on a lake on a windy day, what happens to the ball? It's just bounced all over the place. There's no stability to it. There's no anchor point. It just bounces all over the place. And I'm amazed at just how many people are deceived. Christians are deceived today because they don't they don't have discernment. And Satan is so good at this. He is so good at this. I remember, I remember when Mother Teresa died. And I made a statement in my Moody class. I said, you, know, you realize that Mother Teresa is in hell. And everybody gasped. Half of them just like, how could you say that? She was such a wonderful person. She was so humble. And, and look what she did. And yada, yada, yada. I said, yeah, but if you ask Mother Teresa, on what basis do you go to heaven? She says, if you're sincere, that will let you in. Mother Teresa, do you witness to the Hindus that are dying? No, I would not dare do that. If they're sincere, God, God will let them into heaven. Whether they know Jesus or not. That's not someone who's a Christian, folks. That's someone who's confused. But what was interesting is the response of people when their gasp is unbelief. Say, how dare you say that she's not in heaven? How do you know that? And it's like, well, look at her theology. It's, it's not hard to figure that out. The same thing with John Paul II. When he died and you know the the media was just going bong you know oh you know he's touching the face of jesus i said no he's not he's in hell right now how dare you say that he's a wonderful person yeah but he believed that mary was going to save him i'm not making that up that's his theology folks that's, i'm not making this stuff up uh, they were going nuts Absolutely. i wanted to call moody radio and say what are you doing this guy's in hell what's wrong with you people making him out to be some great Christian leader. The guy believed in sacramental. He believed he was saved by what he did, his works. And not only that, but he, if he had his druthers, he would have made Mary co-redemptrix. You know what that means? No, if you're a Catholic, you have to believe that she is equally your Savior as Jesus is. And if you don't, you don't go to heaven. Now, go figure that one out. See, I'm going to make it... And they look good. You know, you look at this and it, it looks good. and it, They do good things, but, but they're doing good works. And look at Mother Teresa and look at the work she did and how humble she was. And she gave her life and yada, 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 yada. And it's like, folks, that's not how you get to heaven. That's not how you get in. And Satan likes that. Satan likes people doing good things and altruistic things and looking good and, and being... Um, Good model sense because it deceives people into thinking they're okay when they're not. And that's what he is up to. So, I will pose the same question to you that I did to Dr. Walls years ago. How can you be a Christian and be a Catholic? You can't. You can't. We'll talk about it, yeah. You can be a bad Catholic and be a Christian. <laughs> but you can't be a good Catholic and be a Christian. Yeah, there are. And, and again, I, look, folks, I got, I got to say this before you freak. This is not a, a diatribe against Catholics. It's against Catholicism. It's the system that's got them enmeshed. I'm not talking about Catholics. In fact, I know a guy who's a Catholic who is a Christian. He's, he's mixed up, but I believe he's a Christian. All right, so we're not talking about, we're talking about the system of belief. We're talking about the theology of the church of Catholicism. That's the issue. 
There's a difference, a big difference. Yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not picking on people individually. We're picking on theologies. That that's the point we got to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that made me nervous about the Promise Keeper movement, which is still going, but, you know, they had Mormons come to the Promise Keepers um, meetings and, and, and rallies. And they thought that was really great that, you know, we have Mormons coming to this thing. And I'm thinking, you know, if the Mormon church will send their Mormon men to a meeting I am holding saying it's a good thing for them to show up there. I'm not saying something I should be saying. Right? I'm not saying the right thing because Mormonism believes that Jesus is not God. He's a created, he's a procreated being. He was procreated between Elohim and one of his many celestial wives. It's really mixed up. I mean, it is, it is pagan to the core. Mormonism is pagan to the core. All right, and and if you have a movement where the the bishops of the Mormon stakes, which is their regional um, area, their their organizations, and they're saying you should go to Promise Keepers, they'll make you a better Mormon. There's something you're not saying that you should be saying, and to think that that's a good thing to be co-belligerents with people who deny the word of God. That's the unequally yoked business. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. They're of the mission field. They're not the co-belligerents. They're not partners in our endeavor. They're the ones that need to be reached. I can get on that a long time. I won't do that. Um, Mostly because of the apostate really uh, corrupts the... Uh, no. 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 It's their theology. It, it's, if you study that, you really study Catholicism, you'll understand most people who react negatively saying, well, why are you picking on them, don't really understand what they really, really believe and teach. And when you do that, you'll, you'll think differently. But anyway, enough of that. I don't want to think, oh, Shaver's always beating on Catholics and Mormons and all that stuff. That's not, the, that's not what I'm saying here. That's not what's going on here. Satan can cause physical disease. He can do that. You know that. How do you know that? He did it with Job. And what else did he do it with? This lady here. Can Satan cause people to get sick? Sure he can. How does he do that? I don't know. All I know is what the Bible says. This woman here was bent double for 18 years. She had some kind of spinal defect. We're not exactly told what it was. or you know, We don't have a clinical term for it. It could be severe scoliosis or something. But she was bent double. And what did Christ say? Satan hath bound her. So what did Christ do? He unbound her. Alright? Satan can cause physical disease. We're going to read Job here in a few minutes. In Job chapter 1 and 2, what does Satan do to Job? He causes him to be so sick. Put it this way, Satan could do anything to Job short of killing him. So how miserable was Job? 
And this is before you had morphine and painkillers and Advil and aspirin. He scraped his sores with a broken piece of pottery. That's gross, folks. That's gross. Satan, Satan can cause physical disease. Now let me ask you a question. If Satan can cause physical disease, what else can Satan do? Heal him. And I'm convinced that most of what passes for healing today is Satan. Why? Because Satan doesn't care what you believe. Just don't believe the truth. That's all. Don't believe the truth. I've, I've, I've read healing accounts of people who have gone and gotten healed and they come back and they're just, they're just, they, they love Jesus. You ask them, oh, Jesus who? Well, they don't know who Jesus is. It's just that they're okay because they got healed. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Well, it doesn't really matter because I met him and it's okay. Do you believe that, you know, you need to repent? Well, I'm okay because Jesus healed me. And, and they're, they're banking on that healing and Satan has got them. In the scripture, he doesn't. But the question is, if he can cause it, can he? Well, I take it back. There is a healing in the Bible. What does Satan do to the Antichrist? Yeah. They ascribed his works to Satan. We're going to look at that passage. Matthew chapter 12. They ascribed Satan's or Christ's healing of people to Satan. And, and Christ was healing everybody. I understand Christ was healing organic diseases, missing eyes, missing arms. I mean, the whole, everything. Alright? They ascribed it to Satan and, and Christ said, well, Satan is not divided against Satan. His kingdom would not stand. But let, but let me ask a question. And again, you're right, Dave. I don't have... Can I go to a verse and say Satan can heal everybody? I'm not saying that. But I, I believe if Satan can cause Job to get sick, he could probably cause Job to get better if it suited his purposes. And what would suit Satan's purposes more than having somebody be convinced that they're okay because they got a supposed healing? Yeah. You never come to know Christ. And... and Again, you're right. I mean, all we have is the passage on um, the Antichrist who, who supposedly healed from a grievous wound. And most Bible scholars think that there was some miraculous healing or fake resurrection there. And that suited Satan's purposes. What is the limitation that uh, God put on Satan with... Uh, with yeah. Um, what was the limitation? Well, the first limitation was you can take away all his possessions and you can't do anything else. The second limitation was you can do anything short of killing him. You can strike his body. You can make him as sick as you want. Just don't kill him. Just don't kill him. You see, Satan is in the false miracle business. He can, he can do... What's the, what's, what's the false prophet going to do in the tribulation? He's going to call down fire from heaven. Now, that's a big one, right? And he's going to make all the world think and be convinced that this Antichrist is Christ. 
Satan can do these things. And again, he does them if it suits his purposes. And as long as he can convince you to believe that you're okay when you're not, he's happy. He's happy. And he'll do it. But here, Satan, one thing we do know for certain is that Satan can cause physical disease. It doesn't mean every time somebody gets sick, Satan is behind it. But Satan can do it. Satan has the ability, if God permits, Satan has the ability to cause physical disease. Well, in Job's case, God offered him up. Mm-hmm. Satan didn't go looking. Satan made the accusation, and we'll look at that. He made the accusation, but first God offered him up. Yeah, we'll look at that in a few minutes. But yeah. Satan can persecute and oppress the believer. What do you mean by that? If you're a believer, you can be persecuted and oppressed by Satan. You can suffer depression. You can have um, just the, you know, the overwhelming sense of oppression. That is real, folks. That is real. And it's especially real if you do what? You open yourself up to that. You open yourself up to demonic things. You open yourself up to being um, or into some of these things. If you go to seances... If you go and, and, and get in with Ouija boards and tarot reading and things like that, that's all stuff that the Bible says that we need to stay away from as believers because Satan will use that and he will get a hook in us and he will oppress us. All right? Revelation 2.10, Christ is talking to one of the churches. I think it's the Philadelphian church. Not the Philadelphian, the um, Smyrna church, I think it is. And he says, don't fear any of these things. You're going to suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison. That you may be tried and have tribulation ten days. Be faithful to death and I'll give you the crown of life. What's Satan going to do? He's going to cause persecution. He's going to oppress believers. He's going to bring oppression down. Why do you think the world hates us? We're nice people, aren't we? Why do they hate us? Because Satan's behind it, folks. He's behind it. Of course they're going to hate us. He's behind the world system. He hates us. He is going to oppress. And and there there is such a reality as oppression. And a a good example of this in the Old Testament is who? Well, Job, but who? Saul. What happened to Saul? Saul. Well, he disobeys God, right? He removes himself from God's blessing. He's off doing his own thing. And it says an evil spirit went out from the Lord. Say, wait a minute. You mean God sent an evil spirit? No. What do we mean when we say an evil spirit went out from the Lord? Right. And God removed his protection. In the New Testament, we have a couple of guys delivered to Satan. First Timothy. What does it mean to be delivered to Satan? To be given over to, right? Paul is saying, if you've got somebody in your church that's living in sin and they refuse to be corrected, they refuse correction, they refuse to repent, what do you do? You deliver them to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You turn them over. You want to act like that? Fine. You deliver them over to Satan. And what will Satan do with them? He'll destroy them. Folks, you can remove yourself from God's protection by being disobedient. You know that. Right. 
If he says, if you're going, if you're going to do that, I'm going to remove my protection from you and then you will suffer the full force of that temptation or that sin that you want. You want to do that? I'll let you destroy yourself. I'll, I'll, I'll remove my protection. You know, and, and folks, you know, understand all of us in here are protected by God from Satan. And I don't know about you, but I would like to cooperate with God to make sure that I'm protected. I would not like to put myself in a spot where I'm unprotected because I decide to fall into sin or I decide to act in an ungodly lifestyle. You can do that. If you give yourselves over to drugs and alcohol, God can remove His protection from you. And you can be oppressed and depressed. And that happened to Saul. It wasn't that God was being just mean to Saul for the sake of being mean to Saul. Saul had committed sin. He had disobeyed God. He had removed himself from God's protection. Peter did the same thing, right? When Peter basically told Jesus, I don't need your, I don't need God's help. I will be there in spite of everybody else walking away. I'll be there. Christ said, no, you won't. In fact, I'm going to let Satan have you just to show you that you can't make it on your own. And sometimes God does that, folks. Sometimes God allows us to be bashed around by Satan because we think that we can do it in ourselves. And we don't really need his help. And God says, no, you need my help and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to let you be kicked around by Satan a little bit and you'll understand that you need my protection. But Satan can persecute. He can oppress believers. And a lot of times it's because we as believers have opened ourselves up to that. Now, in Job's case, did Job open himself up to oppression? No, but God allowed it to serve his purpose. But even then, even, and here's the thing, here's the, let's say you think you're going through spiritual oppression by Satan. What comfort can you have during that time? He's trying to teach us, and what else? And for his purpose. For his purpose, but what else? You may not put yourself there, and what else do you know? God has boundaries even there. And God will not allow you, 1 Corinthians 10.13, He will not allow you to be tested above your ability to bear it. And if you de- 1 Corinthians 10.13 and if you pray and ask God to deliver you and to be there for you, He will. It may not be fun. It may not be a happy time. You may still be oppressed for a period of time, but God will not allow it to destroy you. Because even in there, God has boundaries that Satan cannot cross. But he can, Satan can persecute us. We do know that Satan's forces are highly organized. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. They are highly organized. Now, there's a, there's a, they're, they're organized chaos, right? Because all of them are wanting to do their own thing. and they, you know, But the whole point is there, there still is an organization behind Satan. We read principalities, powers, rulers. We, we read uh, principalities and powers. Uh, there is an organizational structure there. We don't know what it is, but it is there. Because Satan is organized against God. And he's using the selfish motives of all the demonic forces who hate God. He's sort of rallying them all. But there, there is an organization there. Um, I hit the wrong button here. Okay. Satan is the ruler 
of this world, the prince of the power of the air. The Bible calls him that. What does it mean, ruler of this world? What does world mean there? The system, the thoughts, the beliefs, the values of this world. What are the values of this world? That's what Satan is behind. What do people value? What do people want? Satan is behind that. And that is why, as Christians, we should not love the world. Why? Because if we love the world, we're, we're loving something that, that's enmity against God. It's God's enemy. It's God's enemy. We have no business doing that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy a baseball game. You know, that's probably the world. That means you can't do this, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. That's not, that's not the point. It's okay to enjoy a baseball game, to go watch a football game, to go have a good dinner somewhere. That's not buying into the world. But when you value what the world values and you chase what the world chases and your values are no different than the people next to you and you watch all the same TV shows that everybody else watches, you've bought into it. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. Don't be like the world. Don't buy into the world system. Because that's what Satan is behind and that's what he empowers. And we see that today, don't we? Look at TV. You know, why is it that TV consistently pokes fun of Christians? Well, Satan is behind the world system. What do you expect? <coughs> right? What do you expect? That's what he's after. So if we're going to believe we should be prepared to fight. Yeah. We're going to be in a fight. And don't get all upset and bothered and hot and bothered, but I don't understand why people don't like Christians. They're not supposed to. Because Satan is behind it. Don't get flustered about that. Don't get all up in arms and all bent out of shape over that kind of thing. What did Christ say? If they persecuted me, what are they going to do to you? Right. You're not above your master. Don't, don't get bothered about that. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Satan can be resisted, can he? Yeah. In the power of God. James 4, 7. Submit yourself to God and then do what? Resist the devil. Now, most people try to resist the devil without doing the submission part. You need to submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. 1 Peter 5.8, what are you to be? Sober and vigilant. What does that mean? Watch. Be on the alert. Folks, this is as simple as, if you're, you know, all of us have those particular sins that we are susceptible to, aren't we? We all have those weaknesses, so what do you do? Pay about it and be vigilant. Don't get yourself into a temptable situation. Don't expose yourself to stuff that's going to cause you trouble. Stay away from it. Turn the TV off. Get rid of the TV maybe if you have to. Don't go to the malls. Avoid those situations that cause you temptation. Because Satan is... The idea of being vigilant and watch out, it's like watching out for a lion. Keep your eye out. He's there. And God will give us vigilance and help us. And again, you know, 1 John 4, for greater is he than is us than he is in the world. Don't worry about you're no match for Satan. You aren't no match for Satan. God can take care of Satan. So if we're submitting ourselves to God, if we are in the Word, if we are obedient to the Word, if we are working on our own sanctification, God will take care of us. And whatever trial we may find ourselves going through is because it's there for our own God, our, our, uh, God's eternal purpose. Also realize this, Satan's a defeated foe. He's lost, folks. He's just not given up yet. He's lost. The score is 5,000 to 1. 
and it's the bottom of the ninth inning with two out. He's lost. He can't win. But he's not going to give up. So don't worry about Satan pulling this thing off and Satan ruining something. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. He's a defeated foe. And as he, as he gets less and less time, what is he going to become? More and more desperate. All right, but he's a defeated foe. We don't have to worry about him winning. He perverts the Word of God. What does that mean? He twists it. Satan knows the Bible better than many theologians. You know that. And how did he do it to Eve? He said, well, did God really say that? Put the question in. He twists it. He, he takes the truth and he adds a little thing to it. Makes it just a little bit different. It didn't exist, but God had told her something. And he got her to believe it wasn't true. Satan is a master deceiver and twister. And that's why we've talked about this before. When you have somebody on TV and they're using Bible verses and talking about Jesus and God, doesn't mean they really know what they're talking about. You need to go back and be a Berean and find out what do you mean by that. And not only check the vocabulary they're using, but look at the dictionary that they use to make sure that they mean the same things. Yeah. And you know what? We're good. Folks, we fall into that. All, I fall into that all the time. And sometimes I have to ask myself, I say, you know, what's wrong with you, Schaefer? I mean, you say you trust God. You've got this little trial here and you're acting like God doesn't know what's going on. What's wrong with you? You know? That's right. And that's why we need to be people of the Word. We need to be people in the Word. Satan blinds the unconverted, Right? He blinds them. Why, why can't people see the truth of the gospel? They're blinded. Not only are they blinded because of their own darkness of their heart, but what does Satan do? Satan, in addition to that, blinds them. Well, he rewards their bad behavior. Yeah, he blinds them. If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Therefore, let's understand, when you come to witness to somebody, who has to open their eyes to see the truth? The Holy Spirit, not you. And that's why you can say the dumbest thing on the planet and God can use that to open their eyes. It's really not up to you. It's up to God. Satan snatches away gospel truth from those who hear it. Remember, this is the parable of the sower, right? The seed falls on the hard ground and what does Satan immediately do? Takes it away so that it can't germinate. Satan is actively preventing the spread of gospel truth. Why is it that when you look at TV and you see these people spouting nonsense like Deepak Chopra and all that, why is that? Well, Satan has blinded the minds. They are in darkness. Not only are they are in darkness because they personally are in darkness, but they are in darkness because Satan has additionally blinded them. They bought into the darkness and he has exacerbated the darkness by blinding their hearts. And the only way you win people like that is you don't. God does. God's got to open the heart and open the mind and help them understand. And, and He will do that. Satan is limited by God. I wanted to really spend some time looking at this, but we're out of time. But read, just read Job chapters 1 and 2. And what you find is that Satan is given only so much leeway with Job and no further. 
And the whole point of Job is God is trying to tell Satan, look, when I save a person, when they have saving faith, when they are redeemed, it is an indestructible faith. Nothing will ultimately thwart that. And Satan said, yeah, right. Um, I bet you take away all of his money and all of his possessions, he'll curse you. And God said, okay, take it away and we'll find out. And guess what? Job didn't. And Satan said, yeah, yeah, okay, so somebody might pass that. I'll tell you what, you strike his body, you make him sick. That's okay, you can do anything you want short of killing him. And Job didn't. And what does the book of Job say? The book of Job says, this is where I take great comfort in, folks. The faith that I have in Jesus Christ, the faith that I have to believe the Word of God is not generated from me. It was a faith given to me by God and that will never fail. My faith would fail, would it not? My faith cannot hold up. My faith will... If you are trying to hang on to your own faith and your own strength, that's what Peter did, you're going to fail every time. What do you need to depend on? The faith that God grants us. That is an unassailable faith. It will endure. And no trial and no tribulation and nothing that Satan tries to do will destroy the faith of those who are truly born again. Because it's not their faith. God will keep you. We are kept by the power of God. We are kept by His power, not our power. We're going to look at that. So don't, don't think that you're going to fail. Satan propagates false doctrine. We're almost down to the end here. Satan propagates... We've talked about this, folks. He's an angel of light and he wants to just propagate all the false doctrine he can because the more false doctrine is out there, the, the chance of somebody stumbling on the truth are reduced, isn't it? I mean, there are millions of religions to pick from. Just don't pick the right one. He accuses the brethren day and night before the throne of God. Yeah, you know what Schaefer did today? Does God need that information? No. No, he knows, right? What's Satan trying to do? Trying to make God look bad? Trying to say, how can you save somebody like that? And the answer is, Christ our advocate says they're covered. The payment is paid, the penalty is paid. He can cause natural disasters. That's interesting. How do you know that? Well, what did he do to Job's and Job, right? A whirlwind came out and knocked the house down. Where did the whirlwind come from? Satan. Satan can cause natural disasters. Satan can demonize men. But if you're a believer, you cannot be possessed by Satan. Were there people demon-possessed in the Bible? Absolutely. The demoniac at Gadara was demon-possessed. How about the Antichrist? He's going to be personally indwelt by Satan. That's a biggie. Boy with the evil spirit. The woman, the, the, the woman who, uh, the diviner in, in Acts 16. The woman with the spirit of divination. Um, Satan can demonize people who are unbelievers and many times it's because they open themselves up to that. But Satan can demonize them, but can he demonize a believer? You have the Holy Spirit within you. And because of that, Satan cannot demonize us. And God may use Satan as his instrument of divine judgment. What does that mean? Satan allows Satan to do what Satan will do to serve his eternal purposes. Satan did not sin. Satan did not say, I need an evil spirit to go torment Saul. All God did was remove his protection from Saul. And what did the evil spirits do? They had an entree in. Alright? And um, that's it. So we will continue in two weeks. 
And next week we'll have the missionaries here. So be here next week. Any questions or comments or anything? Extra handouts? Teresa would have them. Yeah, she went through them all. Okay. Yeah, I don't lug them around. So I, I always let her lug them around. So, All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this day and uh, for teaching us in this time together. I pray that uh, you'd help us remember what we've studied and realize, Father, that we don't need to be living in fear. You've given us victory. You've given us um, not our power, but your power over Satan. We don't need to live in fear of what he may do. And I pray that we would be men and women of the Word, men and women of prayer, and we depend on you for our strength and our victory in Christ's name. Amen.